reminder that brokenness is there are some technical difficulties. Right? Things never quite work the way they're supposed to. It's a reminder that things are not as they should be. But we're here now and we're yeah, looking forward to worshiping with you tonight and being together and remembering what Jesus has done for us. My family and I were just down in, in South Carolina for a while and one of the mornings there, it was like 55 degrees and we were staying with Vanessa's aunt and she kept saying, like, it's still cold out today. And of course for us, like, we hadn't felt 55 degrees in like six months and it, so it felt wonderful though. It just seemed absurd to say that it felt cold and at 55 degrees. The weather felt totally blissful to us coming from this. So the point being, right, it's easier to appreciate good and beautiful weather when you've lived through a dark, dreary, and snow-filled Wisconsin winter. And in general, like, it's just in life, it's easier to appreciate good things when you've lived through and endured and remembered hardships and challenges. And so that's what tonight is all about. A good Friday is the northern Wisconsin winter to Easter perfect, sunny, 70-degree day. Good Friday is the chance for each of us to feel the weight of our sin, to, to feel the brokenness and darkness of the world, to, to feel the responsibility we bear because of our sin for the crucifixion of the Son of God. So we do that, we remember that, we feel that so that when we get to Sunday, we appreciate the glory and the beauty and the wonder of the resurrection all the more deeply. So because of that, right, the tone of tonight's service will be a little more sober and somber and reflective. It's why the lights are lower and we just want to have time to reflect. I'm going to take this opportunity tonight to feel the weight of Friday so that Sunday is all the sweeter. So to allow that, tonight we're going, to, we're going to sing songs that invite us to reflection. Then I'll offer a few brief thoughts on what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And then we'll have some time of just quiet reflection. And we'll sing one more song and then we will dismissed at the end of the service in a, a quiet, reflective, meditative spirit. As we enter into this time of reflection and remembrance, let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for the chance to gather. And above all, we thank you that on this Good Friday, when we remember how your Son willingly gave himself willingly went to the cross, even though he had never sinned. He went to the cross to bear our sins on our behalf. We thank you, Father, that you show us your love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So tonight, as we remember your, we remember the death of Jesus, would we be reminded of your great love for us? Would we stand in awe? 
you've done for us in sending Jesus. We'd be amazed that the God who spoke the universe into existence would love each of us so much that He would send His Son to die in our place. Father, would we feel deeply tonight our own brokenness, our own sin, thereby, thereby be reminded of your glory and goodness and majesty. Right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we as we sing together? Yeah.
Jesus, we truly do owe you everything. We owe you our all. Our lives are not our own. They belong to you. You purchased us. You paid for us. You paid the penalty of our sin at the cross. The wondrous, mighty cross. We're so thankful. all that you've done for us at the cross. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
the, the book of 2 Samuel, there's a fairly famous passage where, where David has a, an affair with Bathsheba, and then he conspired to have Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, killed in order to cover up his sin. And then after that, the prophet Nathan goes to David, and he tells David a story. Nathan said to David, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. And then we're told that David, hearing this story, burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, You are the man. You're the one in this story who committed those sins. Then he goes on to say, Nathan goes on to say to David, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel And I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wife into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despise me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. And Nathan right, confronts David with his sin. And David replies by saying, I have sinned against the Lord. He understands in that moment. He feels deeply how sinful he is. He feels the weight of his sin. But the story doesn't end there. Nathan goes on to say, The Lord has taken away your sin. David experienced the Lord's forgiveness even as he was deeply aware of his own sinfulness. And that story and the experiences of David in that story is a, a powerful picture of, of what Good Friday, this night, should do for each and every one of us. As we, we contemplate the cross, as we ponder how Jesus willingly went to the cross and out of a deep love for us gave his life, in order that our sins may be forgiven. As we contemplate all that, we are moved to own the fact, to borrow Nathan's words, that I am the man. 
my sin is responsible for Jesus hanging on the cross. It's easy to read the Bible and stories in the Bible of, of broken, messed up sinners. Or it's easy to, to read the news and look out and see how broken and sinful the world is. And I'd feel and think, wow, like those people out there really are broken. Like they really are sinful. They really do need to be rescued by Jesus. In Jesus' word, it's really easy to see the speck in somebody else's eye. A good Friday, this service, this time of reflection is an opportunity to see the log in our own eye. Good Friday is an invitation not to look out and see the sin of others, but to look inward and see our own sin, feel the weight of our own sin, and internalize that each and every one of us bear responsibility in the crucifixion of Jesus. Just saying how deep the Father's love for us. And that song puts this idea so well. Right? It says, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. The good news is, it doesn't end there. That song goes on to say, His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. And in John's Gospel, the the very final words that leave Jesus' mouth are those words. It is finished finished. In John 19, starting in verse 28, we read, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, until that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a, a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus' final word, it is finished. And actually, it's really just one final word. The Greek word we translate, it is finished, is tetelestai. Nonetheless, like, it is finished is a good translation for that Greek word, but that raises the question, what is it? What does it mean for it to be finished? Well, Jesus said, it is finished. What is finished? And the thing that was finished on the cross, the thing that was finished with the death of Jesus was Jesus' mission that he came to earth to do. And he gave no clear statement of what that mission would than in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, when he says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus' mission, the thing that he 
finished on the cross was his work to seek and to save the lost. Which means that Jesus' work and mission is only good news for those who know they are lost. Or those who recognize their brokenness, those who recognize their need to be saved. Those who recognize their need to be rescued and found. Jesus says elsewhere back in Luke 5, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The work that Jesus finished on the cross is only good news for those who know they are spiritually sick. It is only good news for those who recognize their sin and come to repentance, who turn away from their sin and trust in Jesus. The Bible tells us that the penalty or the wages of sin is death. Death is what each and every one of us deserve for all the sins we have committed. But Jesus, in in going to the cross, He pays that penalty. He pays that wage for us. He pays the penalty of death in place of all those who recognize their sinfulness. He died in place of all those who recognize their need of a Savior and who trust that Jesus is that Savior. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted that, that Jesus died for you and that it's only through his death that you can be forgiven, then before we say anything else, I urge you to trust in him. To pray and tell him that you know you're a sinner who needs to be rescued, that you know you are sick, you know you are lost and you need Him to come and rescue you. I urge you, if you have never done it before, to trust Jesus first. In 1 Timothy, Apostle Paul writes, here is a trustworthy thing that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save Sinners. He didn't come to help along the pretty righteous who just need a little bit of help. He came into the world to save sinners. Paul doesn't stop there. Paul, who, who did more to grow the church in its early years, Paul, who suffered greatly for Jesus, was eventually martyred for his faith in Jesus. Paul, whose spiritual life puts mine and probably yours to shame, says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul, the great evangelist who joyfully suffered and died for his faithfulness to Jesus says he is the worst of sinners. But then he goes on to say this. 
But for, the, for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So two things to say about this. Paul, first of all, is a man who feels the weight of his sin. Even if you consider the fact that Paul at one point, back when he was Saul, persecuted and possibly killed Christians, none of us would look at him and objectively call him the worst of all sinners. There are others who who killed more people, who persecuted more Christians more fervently than Paul. But Paul, on self-examination, knowing his own heart, knowing the sinfulness inside of him, considers himself the worst of all sinners. He feels how sinful he is. But the other thing to notice, that Paul is not ashamed to own that sin. Because he understands that through the darkness of his own sinfulness, the glory of the work of Jesus and saving him shines all the more brightly. He understands that when he fully grasps his sin, the work of Jesus becomes all the more splendid. And he doesn't have to be ashamed of his sin because Jesus died for it and paid for it and it's dealt with and it's finished. Paul can reflect on his own life. He can look at his own heart. He can see his sin, feel his sin, but not let that reflection and that sinfulness drive him to despair and shamedness, but drive him to rejoicing in Jesus and all that Jesus has done for him. Jesus' grace and mercy and glory are seen most vividly when we grasp just how much sin he died to forgive. When we each look at our own heart and see just how sinful it really is in there. And so tonight, the next few minutes, I just want to give us a little bit of quiet time of reflection. We're not always great at just sitting quietly and, and reflecting and examining our own heart. But I just want to give us the chance to do that tonight. I just want to let your, your heart and your soul go through the same progression that David's heart went through and that Paul's heart goes through. I want to give us some time to reflect on and feel the weight of our own sinfulness. Give you a chance to say in your heart with David, I have sinned against the Lord. Or to say with Paul, I am the worst of all sinners. And to realize that it is your sinfulness that that brought about the death of Jesus, that it's your sin that holds Jesus there on the cross. But as you reflect, don't stop there. Don't let that bog you down in self-pity. 
and you've felt the weight of your sin. Let that sense of sinfulness allow you to marvel at the fact that God loves you enough. He would send His one and only Son to die in your place, to die for you, to die the death that you deserve. God loves you that much. He would send His Son to die for you. And you reflect, be, be amazed that because Jesus died, you may live. His work is finished. Your debt is paid. Your sins are forgiven. Take a few minutes. Feel the weight of your sin. Stand in awe of all that Jesus did for you. In a few minutes, I'll come back up. I'll pray for us, and then we'll sing one more song as a chance to respond to all that Jesus has done. As I'm quiet, time of reflection.
Father, you know our heart. You know our sin better than we know our own sin. And yet, you did not leave us to suffer the righteous consequences of that sin on our own. You did not leave us without hope, but you sent your Son to live among us, to be like us in every way, yet be without sin, and then to go to the cross, to die the death we deserved, to pay the ransom for our sin. Even though we in no way deserved it, we had no right to expect you to do it for us. Yet you did it because you love us far more deeply than we can possibly comprehend. We know we cannot pay you back for what you've done for us in Jesus. As we marvel at your goodness and mercy and grace to us, would it cause us to do nothing more than live lives dedicated to your service and your glory? Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. And we thank you that. Friday is not the end, but that Sunday is coming. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We respond with sing one more song tonight, and then I'll come back and close us.
words that more clear than at the cross. So would we constantly, continually remember? Would we never take for granted? Would we never cease to marvel at what you've done for us and the crucifixion of your Son? lives of remembrance. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go tonight, I urge you to go reflecting on and keenly aware of your own sin at war in your heart. But more than that, amazed that despite that sin, your God, the God of the universe, would send His Son to die in your place. And to go assured that though Friday is dark and somber, Sunday is coming. You are dismissed. Christ is formed in me.